This is uh, case 13 from the Shoyoroku, Book of Equanimity. Linji's Blind Ass. Introduction. Devoted entirely to helping others, you do not know there is a self. You should exert the law to the fullest without concern that there be no people. For this, it is necessary to have the rootless ability to snap a wooden pillar in two. When about to go, what then? When Linji was about to die, he admonished Sun Sheng and said to him, After I pass on, do not destroy my treasury of the eye of truth. Sun Sheng said, how dare I destroy the teacher's treasury of the eye of the truth? Linji said, If someone suddenly questions you about it, how will you reply? Sunsheng immediately shouted. Linji said, Who would have known that my treasury of the eye of truth would perish in this blind ass? The verse. The robe, of, the robe of faith is imported at midnight to Huineng, stirring up the 700 monks at Huang Mei. The eye of the truth of the branch of Linji, the blind ass destroying it, gets the hatred of others. Mind to mind, they seal each other. Patriarch to patriarch, they pass on the lamp leveling oceans and mountains, magically producing a rock. Just the name and word is hard to compare. In sum, the method is knowing how to fly. In sum, the method is knowing how to fly. What is this practice tradition we call Zen? What does it mean to embrace it wholeheartedly? Now, some of you are relatively new to the Zen tradition and you may still trying to figure out what is it all about? And if this is the path you should be on some of you have been practicing for a long time and may still ponder these questions. Or you may have found a way to let them rest for the most part. And such questions naturally arise in our mind and there's no need to suppress them or rush to give them answers. They could be very useful in pointing us in the right direction if we know how to work with them. But what's most important in posing question on a spiritual path is our willingness to dissolve the rigidity from which the questions arise and to be open to the possibility that what we have come to rely on for comfort and a sense of stability may in fact be false. Or in other words, we need to step out of the comfort zone, of our comfort zone, trust the Dharma, and allow it to guide us, even, maybe more so, when there is inner resistance. And this also means knowing how to be a student and how to accept guidance from a Dharma teacher, even when it triggers irritation and some level of emotional aversion, even when it sparks up the story again and again. Now, generally speaking, we may agree that we all want to dissolve our hindrances. We all want to find freedom from our emotional entanglement. We all want to awaken to our inner potential 
and find a way to live in alignment with life rather than argue with it. Argue then suffer the consequences again and again and again. But when it comes down to sustaining a consistent resolve, month after month, year after year, we often tend to buckle and regress and question, is this what I should be doing? It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel like what I want to do. It goes against something in me. So this raises a very important question for us to examine. Are we willing to subject ourselves to the fire that will melt and transmute the rigidity of habitual way of being and our calm? Are we willing to subject ourselves to what doesn't feel good at first? You know, we come into practice and we want to be a part of a community. We want to be guided by a teacher. But we don't. Or we do only when conditions are as such. When they are not, then I'm going to pause that. Or maybe I'll pause what the teacher wants to say to me or I will file it away for now and I'll get back to it or I'll rail against it. You know, you may hear, show up, where are you? You haven't been around for a while and you may not like it or you may feel some guilt arising. Meanwhile, where have you been for a while? Why are you not? back to regular practice is not meant to do any of it. It's a real question. So do we hear the question or do we hear our resistance to the question more than the question? Do we hear our thoughts more than anything else? And yes, often we do. When we do realize that we hear our thoughts more than anything else, isn't that great? Isn't that great that we have a chance to work with it? But no, I'm going to be upset with the guy who's telling me to do something I don't want to do. So are we willing to subject ourselves to the fire that melts and transmute the rigidity of our habitual way of being and our karma is right there. Maybe it's not the fire we want. I want a different kind of fire. But when we feel resistance, there it is. When we feel that the practice is becoming a burden, we have to look at the way we practice rather than change it. Don't change the practice, change yourself. Then you will find freedom. Being freed or being trapped, nothing to do with practice. So when we are engaged with working on dissolving old habits, course it's natural to feel resistance and often that feels right as in comfortable and familiar kind of right and what we are uh, what we are guided to do may feel wrong and often what feels wrong is exactly what we need to be doing what we may be most averse to may be exactly what we need to examine while we do, while we engage, rather than put it on hold or file it away. 
know, many people experience that when they decide to change bad eating habits, decide to eat a healthier diet, or begin a workout regimen after years of sedentary lifestyle. You know, if we eat junk food for a long time, our palate is used to certain flavors, and our brain will perceive these flavors as comforting, although the food may be harmful for our body. So obviously, a salad may not be as tempting as a meal of greasy burger with fries. And naturally, there will be an inner resistance to the change. In fact, eating well may even feel like an insult to someone who's been was used to being comforted by rich and unhealthy foods. Oil-rich and unhealthy foods. And the same resistance will be experienced when a workout routine is first introduced. I don't want to work out. I'd rather sit and watch TV. I'd rather browse the internet. I'd rather do so many other things than work out at the beginning. I'd rather eat something else, I'd rather do something else. But then when we do it for a while, when we work on it, we work with the resistance, and we change the habits, after a while, something changes. The craving go away. And then we begin to listen to a different, much deeper aspect of our being, of our body, in this case. The body knows what it needs. The original self knows exactly what you need to be doing in order to allow it to express itself. But this can happen only if we take the time to listen, if we take the time to allow the voice of resistance to subside. Otherwise, something else is speaking and someone is listening and obeying. And then we pay the price. It is simple to understand in terms of food. We don't, we don't eat well. It will manifest. Not in a nice way. And if we eat well, it will also manifest. It's the same with practice, spiritual practice. When we do practice on a regular basis, maintain a resolve, it works. It works. The habits may not go anywhere, but we develop inner strength that sees the habit and does nothing about it, allows it to be then we can actually make different choices. Not because somebody is saying, show up. Not because of obligation. Not because of obligation. Or guilt. In fact, if you want to come because you feel obligated or guilty, please don't. Some years back, some of you have heard this before, somebody came to Sishin with a lot of complaining and resisting and in Dokusan, I asked this person, why are you here? Well, because I felt really bad about not coming. And because of you, he said. And I said, please go to your room, pack your stuff and go home. And he did. So, same advice. Show up not because of me. Practice not for me. Practice because this is what you choose to do. In terms of the arising resistance, it will manifest absolutely when we engage. In fact, the deeper we go, the more it will manifest often. The difference is when we consider a spiritual practice, what we consider spiritual practice is actually all, is about all aspects of our lives rather than 
a work, introducing a workout routine or changing eating habits. And because of that, it requires fierce honesty in the way each one of us examines where we are stuck or held back by fear and the ways we justify maintaining a status quo and not applying efforts to face our hindrances and truly create changes. We also need to examine with honesty whether or not we are personally applying to the practice, the practice to areas of our lives where it is needed most. That's a very personal thing. Zen is not a one-size-fits-all kind of practice. And what you personally find easy to practice is not where you need to focus your attention. Right? So if you find it easy to sit, well, look at other aspects of your life. If you find it difficult to sit, focus on that. So we need to focus our attention on areas that we need to dissolve emotional or psychological barriers, and it varies greatly from person to person. So it requires us to be tenaciously disciplined and tighten up the slack. How we tighten up the slack has to do with where the slack is. Do we know where the slack is? I can tell you. Do you want to hear? It's one of the things that the Dharma teacher does, observes, listens, intently observes, intently listens to each person when words are spoken and when words are not spoken. Sitting, standing up, walking around, getting irritated, it's all out in the open. It's all exposed. We can't hide it. So are we aware of where the slack is in our lives personally? And are we willing to meet it head on and engage it with fierce determination? Are we? Are you? Am I? Don't think for a second that I'm done practicing. Please don't think that for a second. But there is the expectation, right, that, well, you're the teacher. You have to be there every time. Right? There is that expectation. But I don't have to be here. I don't have to hold the fault. I choose to. Or... I choose to not listen to voices that may say otherwise. It's a choice. It's always a choice. So to stay on track and not regress, we need to keep reigniting the fire within. Reigniting, especially now especially now when we don't have all the great things that keep stoking the fire for us as practitioners. We don't have the monthly zazenkais, in-person zazenkais. We don't have sishins at this point. So what do we have? And when we don't have those things, the tendency is of course, to slack off or the slack to become even slacker. So more so than ever, now, we have to maintain regular zazen, sit with the sangha and cultivate deeper spiritual bonds with our Dharma brothers and sisters. Embrace the teachings wholeheartedly and study with the teacher on a regular basis. Nag me, bother me, bug me, show up, email me, text me. Don't wait for me to chase you and ask you what's going on.
Zen is asking us to face life from a radical vantage point which at first seems hostile, uncomfortable, unfamiliar, but over time it actually is realized as quite friendly and inviting. So again, we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to turn to what feels hostile and uninviting, unfamiliar and fierce? In this koan, we encounter Linji, and Linji is Rinzai in Japanese, who, I would imagine, was seen by monks at the time as hostile, fierce, unfamiliar. John Wu describes Linji as a man utterly down to earth, a solid character, and an eager pursuer of truth, which I doubt that many saw him or see him in that way, or even see Zen in that way. Linji was a ninth century Chinese Zen master who founded one of the five houses of school, houses of Zen, known as the Rinzai sect, and along with the Soto sect, these are the only two schools of Zen that survive to this day. And as most of you have heard before, we are considered to be a Soto lineage, but we have a strong Rinzai influence since Maizumi Roshi studied with teachers from Soto and Rinzai tradition. And this is where our koan study actually comes from. Traditionally, the Soto school uses koans mostly for teishos rather than a part of a curriculum of study. Whereas in Rinzai school, koan study is an integrated aspect of the training. So in one of, his, one of Linji's famous quotes, he said, there is a true person of no rank always coming out and in through the gates of your face. And this statement later on became a well-known koan students must go through in their training. And it is one of those lifelong koans that capture the heart of our practice and it illuminates where we get stuck as well as our potential to get unstuck and awaken to the treasury of the eye of the truth and to our true capacity. In the Golden Age of Zen, John Wu writes, it must never be, never be forgotten that the fundamental insight of Linchi is the perception of awareness of the true man of no position, degree, or title as one's real self. All expedient methods and discursive formulas are of secondary importance and temporary utilities. It is ironic that later students of Zen have paid more and more attention to things of secondary importance to the neglect of the one thing necessary. This is, no doubt, the reason why Zen has not been able to keep its original vitality. For once you mistake the koan for a puzzle to be solved by intellectual acumen, you will be glued to it as a fly to a flypaper. The great masters of Zen have invariably used the koan to drive you to the wall so that in your intense agony you may open your inner eye and see that the hopeless labyrinth maze that you are in is nothing but a nightmare which disappears as soon as you awaken. For in all this, there's one line, one in this paragraph, one line that should immediately grab our attention. And it is this one. It is ironic that later students of Zen have paid more and more attention to things of secondary importance, to the, to the neglect of one thing necessary. This is no doubt the reason why Zen has not been able to keep to its original vitality. Keep that in mind. When you examine your practice, keep that in mind. The current state of Zen, the Zen tradition, and its future is dependent on each of you, each of us, 
and on the vitality of our practice, personally and collectively. So I'm not sure if most practitioners truly understand the gravity of this responsibility. Or maybe not understand it on a consistent basis. It's true that most practitioners are not Dharma teachers. But the depth and vitality of individual practice affects all of us, teachers and students. And it will impact the tradition as it's being passed on to future generations, future practitioners. So strong and hearty seeds will produce strong and resilient plants. If the seeds are not strong or well-nourished, what kind of plant will follow? This is what the introduction is alluding to. You should exert the law to the fullest without concern that there be no people. For this is necessary to have the rootless, for it is necessary to have the rootless ability to snap a wooden pillar in two. You know, Dogen used to sit with a handful of people for a while in the mountains. The great Dogen didn't care about having a large Sangha. What he cared about is having people who really want to practice. So five, six people. You may think, well, that's not enough. Enough for what? Enough. It's not enough if you can't quantify. But if you put away quantification, one is plenty. So the ruthless ability to snap a wooden pillar in two. This is referring to Linji's severity and unwavering commitment to the Dharma. And it is also telling us how to maintain the vitality of our practice. The Sangha may be large or small. People may prove or disapprove of your practice. You may disapprove of your practice at times. Old habits may come sneaking in through the back door. Let none of it, none of it deter you from sitting upright on the cushion, from maintaining your resolve. Do not destabilize, do not destabilize yourself. Because it's you who essentially destabilizes you. Because there is no other. Because as long as you are willing to buy, you are willing to sell. So let none of it destroy your link to true wisdom. And then the introduction ends with the question that leads into the koan. When about to go, what then? In the dialogue took place as Linji was on his deathbed, having the last conversation with his Dharma heir, imploring Sun Sheng to keep the Dharma alive. He said, after I pass, please do not destroy my, tre- I don't know if he said please, do not destroy my treasury of the eye of truth. What is Linji's treasury of the eye of truth? Here is how Linji described his understanding and teaching. He said, in my view, there is no Buddha, no sentient beings, no past, no present. Anything attained was already attained. No time is needed. There is nothing to practice, nothing to realize, nothing to gain, nothing to lose. Throughout all time, There is no other Dharma than this. If one claims there is a Dharma surpassing this, I say it's like a dream, like a phantom. This is all I have to teach. 
this is all Zen is about. Realize that there is nothing to attain is to attain realization. Not to think about it, not to read about it, to realize it. That's to attain realization. That was Lynch's attainment and teaching. But it didn't come easy for him. And he also had, like us, had to struggle for quite a while before things opened up. Before, in a way, he came full circle to the authenticity that is always there. So Linji's journey describes his sincere, sincere diligence as well as the confusion of his searching. It is said that from the beginning of his residence with Huang Po, who was his teacher, Linji's performance of his duties was exemplary. And at the time, Mujo, who was the head monk, said to Linji, how long have you been practicing here? Linji said, three years. Mujo said, have you gone for an interview with the master or not? And Linji said, I've not done so. I don't know what to ask. I don't know what to ask at the beginning. Of course, it's often, you know, it's common. We don't know what to say. We don't know what to begin. And Mujo said, why don't you ask him, what is the essential meaning of Buddhism? What is all this about? What is Zen? So Linji went to see Wang Po, but before he would, could finish his question, Wang Po hit him. Linji went out. Mujo asked him, what happened? So Linji said, before I could utter one word, he hit me. I don't understand. Muju said, okay, go in and ask again. This happened three times. And every time Linji came out of the abbot's room, Muju sent him back with the same question. So in the end, Linji revealed this to Muju saying, before you, ur before you urged me to ask about the Dharma, but all I got is beating. And then because of evil karmic hindrances, I'm not able to comprehend the essential mystery of the practice. So he was under the assumption that he's held back, his ability to break through is held back because of his karma. Right? And again, very common, very often we think, I'm stuck. I'm never going to get it. And it's not for me, it's not much different than that. Because it's also relying on some idea of knowing. I know that my, my karma is preventing me from realizing. I know that this is not for me. I know that I should be doing something else. How do we know? Well, he said, I'm not able to comprehend the essential mystery, so today I'm going to leave. Muji said, if you're, if you're going to leave, please go in and say goodbye to the master. Linji bowed and went away. And then, Muju, head monk, then went to one point and said, that monk who just asked you the questions, although he's young, he's very extraordinary. If he comes to say goodbye, please give him appropriate instructions. Later, he will become a great tree under which everyone on earth will find refreshing shade. This is a very important line, right? This is a long time ago. This is later. Now is later. And because of his practice, because of his determination, we are now enjoying the shade, enjoying his determined practice, being guided by his determined practice. So now is the later of before. Later will be the later of now. What does that mean for each of us personally? 
What does that mean? When we don't feel like showing up. Or do we even think about it? He will become, he became a great tree. Refreshing, giving refreshing shade to everyone on earth. So the next day when Liji came to say goodbye to Wang Po, Wang Po said, you don't need to go somewhere else. You can't go somewhere else. But you don't need to go somewhere else. Just go over to Gawan Monastery and practice with Dayu. He'll explain it to you. So when Lindy reached Dayu, Dayu said, where are you coming from? Linji said, from Huang Po. Dayu said, what did Huang Po say? Linji said, three times I asked him about the essential doctrine and three times he hit me. I don't know if I made some error or not. Dayu said, Huang Po has old grandmotherly affection and endures all this difficulty for your sake. And here you are asking whether you've made some error or not. Upon hearing these words, Linji was awakened. All of it is nothing but grandmotherly kindness. Is nothing but pure love and compassion. Show up is nothing but pure love and compassion. Of course, we don't interpret it this way. So we just drown in our own interpretations. And then what? Then Linji said, actually, after he was awakened, actually, Huang Po's Dharma is not so great. So Dai grabbed him and said, why you little bedwetter? You just came here and said you don't understand. But now you say that there's not much to Huang Po's teaching? What do you see? Speak. Speak. Linji then hit Daiyu on his side three times. Dayu let him go and said, your teacher is Wang Po. I've got nothing to do with this. So Linji then left Dayu, returned to Wang Po. Wang Po saw him and said, this fellow who's coming and going, how can he ever stop? And Linji said, only through grandmotherly concern. Only through love and compassion. Only we will understand what true love and compassion means. Only when we understand the connection between compassion and discipline, somehow, I don't know how, but somehow we have created a gap, a divide between discipline and compassion. I don't know where or how, but we have to merge this. Wake up, show up. I'm tired. Do you really think that I'm not tired at times? When do I not show up, right? Not just me, every Dharma teacher. You think that Dharma teachers are not tired? You think they all have great night's sleep every night? You think Dharma teachers don't have aches and pains? They're not discouraged? Or we'd be rather not think about it at all. So how do we make that divide between discipline and compassion? No discipline, no compassion. So Linji then, then bowed and stood in front of Wang Po. Wang Po said, who has gone and returned? Linji said, yesterday I received the master's compassionate instruction. Today I went and practiced the Dayus. Wang Po said, what did Dayus say? Linji then recounted his meeting with Dayu. Wang Po said, 
That old fellow Dayu talks too much. Absolutely talks too much. We all talk too much. And then he said, next time I see him, I'll give him a painful swat. Linji said, why wait till later? Here's a swat right now. Linji hit Huang Po. Huang Po yelled, this crazy fellow has come here and grabbed the tiger's whiskers. Please grab the tiger's whiskers. And he said, he yelled to his attendant and said, take this crazy man to the practice hall because this crazy man has finally understood true compassion. But he just hit him, we may think. And the other guy just yelled. I don't want to be hit. I don't want to be yelled at. I don't want to be told what to do. It never stops. I'm telling you, it never stops. Complaining and demanding and judging, it never stops. But we can stop obeying it. That we can do. Muju, by the way, the guy who sent him three times to seek Wang Po, was later on Yunmen's teacher, the great Yunmen's teacher. And Muju was, was the one who broke Yunmen's foot. That's another story for another time. And when his foot was broken, Yunmen had great realization. So this simple, simple naturalness and authenticity of our original state essentially does not need any special praise and recognition. And it is there before we go searching for it. It is there when we exhaust the search. As Linji said upon his realization, actually Huang Po's Dharma is not so great. And that's exactly what makes it so great. It's not the great as in our minds great. It's not the great we create. It's the great it is before we create. So after Linji said, after I pass on, after I die, do not destroy the treasury of the Eye of Truth, Sun Sheng said, how dare I destroy the teacher's treasury of the Eye of Truth? And Linji wanted to check him about this statement, so he asked, if someone suddenly questions you about it, how would you reply? And Sun Sheng immediately shouted. Why would he shout, right? So Linji's style of teachings, teaching was known uh, in, for its shouting and beating. But there, was a great, there is a great deal of misunderstanding as to the true meaning of it. And in the Golden Age, John Wu describes it, as so, of, as so often happens with any community, when a master takes a special delight in a certain means, it is apt to be institutionalized as a result of the slavish imitation on the part of the students. So Linji's student all practice shouting in and out every season without understanding its philosophy and its proper application. Now the situation became so annoying that Linji had to call everybody and said, you all imitate my shouting. But let me give you a test now. One person comes out from the Eastern well, Eastern Hall, sorry. Another person comes out from the Western Hall. At their meeting, they simultaneously shout, do you possess enough discernment to distinguish the guest from the host? If you have no such discernment, you are forbidden hereafter to imitate my shouting. Nobody shouted after that. 
but nobody was able to give an answer. And after that, it got very quiet. And it is said that Linji had four kinds of shouts. One was the shout that cuts off all delusions. The second, the shout of the golden-haired lion before it jumps on its prey. Third, the shout that tests and guides disciples. And the fourth one, the shout that is not used as a shout. And whatever we make of this different kinds of shout, the point is to break through our persistent reliance on the conventional and to dive into what feels like an eternal free fall. To dive without grasping, without speculating, and without hoping to arrive somewhere else. So when Niji asked Sun Sheng, how would you reply? And Sun Sheng shouted, Putnot says, taking charge of the situation, he does not defer to his father. He was not imitating. So that shout is the same as Linji hitting his teacher three times. Realizing this is not so special. Why? Because I was born this way. How ridiculous. We go to learn what we are born with. To learn to get in touch and acknowledge the way we are born. But that's the way we are. That's what we need to do. In clearest translation, Sun Sheng's answer appears as, how dare I destroy the teacher's treasury of the eye of truth? And Maizumi's translation says, how could I let your true Dharma eye be extinguished? How dare I destroy it? Sounds like Sun Sheng is obeying his teacher and will keep his teachings alive out of respect or guilt or responsibility. But how could I destroy it? Is actually a clearer pointer to the unborn and undying and to the depth of Sun Sheng's realization. How could I? destroy that which is beyond birth and death? How could I destroy that which I am? How could it be destroyed? How could anybody attack it? Why the hell am I defending it? It is indestructible, but our bodies are fragile, of course. So how do we understand a fragile body reconciled with an indestructible itness? It's time to wrap it up. verse. The robe of faith is imported at midnight to Huineng, stirring up the 700 monks at Huang Mei. And this is referring to the sixth patriarch who was given the robe and ball at midnight because he was recognized as realized after nine months. And he was encouraged to disappear because the monks are not going to be happy about that. Because it went against what they had in their minds. Who should be a successor, who should not. The eye of the truth of the branch of Linji, the blind ass destroying it. That's not what we think it is. The blind ass destroying it gets the hatred of others. Mind to mind they seal each other.
patriarch to patriarch, they pass on the lamb. This is what we are supposed to be doing with this. Mind to mind, realize. All of us, there are no teachers. There's only the Dharma. So don't push the responsibility on to me. I'll push it right back to you. And I'll ask you, where are you? Where have you been? What's going on with your practice? What's going on with your resolve? And this is not criticism for not showing up physically in person. We get it. This is difficult times. Some of it is really there. Some of it is fear-based. We don't know what to do. But you can still turn on the computer, click the link, and there you are in Zoom, practicing together. Is that too much? Maybe it is. Patriarch to patriarch, they pass on the land, leveling oceans and mountains, magically producing a rock, ROC rock. A rock is a, a mythical, huge, magnificent bird that devours dragons. That's what it is. That's what Zen is producing. Because we are born magnificent. Just the name and word is hard to compare. In some, the method is knowing how to fly. Knowing how to fly. Reminds me of Paul Simon's song, right? A, a man gets tied up to the ground. He gives the world its saddest sound. We are pathetic and sad in the way we keep creating what we are trying to free ourselves from. So in sum, the method is knowing how to fly. What is holding you back? Why are you holding yourself back? Because it feels better is the answer. Because I want to sleep in, may be the answer. Because I want to do something else, may be the answer. A million answers. But in sum, the method is knowing how to fly. Thank you.